So I've been away a bit over the January time. That's because our main family holidays always happen in January. And I mean, they always have done for like 15 years or more or so. So I don't think that's going to change. But I like having quite a nice break in January, you know, whether it was when I was at school or studying or now working, because it's nice to have that time off after busy Christmas. And you know, you're always busy leading up to Christmas time. And so then I start the new year with some very relaxed, relaxing. And then I get back to work in early February and I'm always thinking, oh, be nice, you know, just ease back into it. But every year, it's like Easter is all of a sudden, oh, sorry about this. It is what it is, maybe. Um, but we get back, and it's always like Easter is actually just upon us. And so just like every year, this year I've discovered Easter is now very much upon us. So today we're going to begin a series that will lead us into Easter Sorry, this is not playing the game. Is that better? Oh, can you hear me though? You can. There you go, because I can't hear myself now. That's so much better. Okay. So this week we are beginning a series that is going to take us on a journey to the cross. So over the next six weeks, we're going to walk this journey to the cross, and we're going to focus on the stories and the events of the cross and the events of Easter. So the order of scripture that we're going to follow isn't really an order at all, um, but it, it, the series as a whole will bring us to the cross, confronting it in all its glory and humiliation, exploring the patience and the peace that it pours out, and exalting the greatest gift that the cross brings us. So today we're beginning our journey to the cross with the coming of the king. So if you'd like to turn with me to Matthew 21, we're going to read from verse 1 to 11. We ready? So starting with verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt beside her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and her colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Let's just pray. Lord Jesus, as we look at this word this morning that tells the story of you arriving in Jerusalem, would you give us ears to hear your message and to hear you speak to us? 
Holy Spirit, would you stir inside of us and prepare us to receive whatever it is that you have for us today. Amen. So starring in this scene, we have Jesus entering into Jerusalem along with his disciples and a whole crowd of people who've followed him from Galilee. And what's happening in this scene is that for the first time, Jesus is proclaiming himself as king. Now, in Matthew's gospel, right from the very start, from the very first verse, Matthew opens up with, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David. So Jesus has been known to Matthew as Messiah all along. But while the book records pages and pages of Jesus' preaching and teaching and his proclamation of the kingdom, and at times he even kind of alludes to what his role in it is, Jesus has not, until this chapter, publicly declared that he is the king. Which, to be fair, seems like a wise move, because in Rome at that time, they really didn't look fondly on anyone other than their king Caesar declaring themselves to be king. But Jesus had, previously in the book of Matthew, in chapter 16, he had confirmed with his disciples that he was, in fact, the Messiah, when Peter declared, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. But this had only been a declaration kind of amongst friends, amongst his disciples. So this scene, with Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, was Jesus' first public announcement that he is the king that they've been waiting for. And this passage, it really gives away all of its secrets. It explains to us very plainly the significance of what Jesus asked of his disciples. When they were there up on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sends out a couple of them to go and fetch a donkey and her colt from the nearby village and bring it back to them. And then I googled what a colt is because I wasn't sure. And it's a young male donkey, so that's that. But the two disciples, they hurry off and they collect the donkey and her colt and they bring them back, lay their coats over them so Jesus has somewhere to sit. And Jesus climbs aboard and he begins this procession down the Mount of Olives, through the Kidron Valley and up through the gates into the city of Jerusalem. And in verses 4 and 5 it says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So plain as day, it states that for us right there. We don't have to go searching for that. What might have at first reading seemed like a weird request for Jesus to be making actually has deep prophetic and historical significance, which any Jewish believers who were there in the crowd that day would have marveled at. The act of Jesus proclaiming himself to be king didn't come in the form of a grand speech or with a big coronation. Instead, Jesus proclaimed himself as king by riding on a donkey and her colt into the city, because that is what Zechariah had prophesied. That is how it had been recorded that the Messiah would arrive in the city, gentle and riding on a donkey. And the people in the city and the crowd that was with him, many of them, they got the message 
They made the connection. They knew who he was, who this was that was coming to them. Verse 8 says, A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, whilst others cut branches from the trees and laid them down. In ancient times, this is what they did for a royal procession. This is how they prepared, by laying down garments, by laying down leaves, to create a sort of royal carpet of sorts for the royalty to proceed upon. So they must have known These people in the crowd, they must have known, they must have seen the significance of what was happening. The words of the prophet Zechariah must have been ringing in their ears. This is our king, they must have thought. We must welcome him as our king. And so they threw down their coats and laid down the leaves as was fitting. And their cries lifted up around Jesus As he rode through and they shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. With their shouts of praise, the crowd declares that Jesus is in fact the son of David. The promised Messiah. The one who comes to save. And the blessing they bestow on him is from Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we read that the whole city of Jerusalem that day was stirred by this arrival. As they learned who this man really was. Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. The Messiah, the King. But as the text suggests, the coming of the King didn't start with this simple procession with this humble donkey ride. Instead, the coming of the king started well before that, because we could say it started back when Zechariah prophesied the events that were going to happen, recorded in Zechariah 9 verse 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. These words were spoken nearly a full 500 years before the events of Matthew 21. The king had been coming for nearly 500 years. For all that time, Jewish believers had been looking for the signs. They'd been awaiting the moment when they would see their king and know their king. And then there he was, the Messiah riding on a donkey, humble, gentle, and peaceful. And maybe to you, as it does to me, that kind of doesn't sound like a very royal or kingly entrance. It doesn't sound very royal to ride a donkey, trotting over a bunch of people's clothes and leaves around the place. But for those who had been waiting Those who had been looking for the signs, they remembered back to once before when the king had again come on the back of a donkey. In 1 Kings 1, the chapter opens by describing King David as very old. And so old he could no longer keep himself warm even when they put covers on him. So it opens the scene with a question of, well, who's going to take over from David? Who will be the next king? 
Now, without King David having to do anything other than focus on keeping warm, one of his sons, Adonijah, just announces himself as king, and he starts making all of these preparations. He gets horses and chariots, and he gets 50 men to run along with them as they proceed, and he gathers support from a few of the tribe officials. And then gathering almost all of the officials of Judah, he makes necessary animal sacrifices in their presence. The nation of Israel was getting a new king, and King David, the current king, knew nothing about it. So when David is told about what's going on, he's not so happy, and he declares that his son Solomon will be the rightful heir to his throne. And so he gathers the prophet Nathan, the priest Zadok, and Benaiah, and instructs them to put Solomon on David's own mule, on his own donkey, and escort him to Gihon, a river in the area, and to anoint him there and declare him as king over Israel. So they do just that. The four of them go down, along with a couple of tribes of people. They head to the Gihon River, and Solomon is anointed as king. And they blow their horns, and the people declare, Long live King Solomon. And I just want to note some of the differences between Adonijah's self-proclamation as king and Solomon's anointing. Adonijah, he makes all of these flashy preparations. He gathers horses and chariots and men to run with him as though he's heading into battle. He makes animal sacrifices and ensures that everyone in the city knows what he is doing. Whereas for Solomon, what King David asks them to do, to quietly lead Solomon out of the city on a mule, an act which is considered a display of peace, not suggesting they're beheading to war or to battle. And he goes with these witnesses and they anoint him and they declare him king of Israel. And then they return to the city, celebrating and proclaiming as King Solomon takes his seat on David's throne. And all of this, it occurred about a good 950 years before the events that we read in Matthew 21, before Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey too. But those who were there, the Jewish believers in the crowd, they would have remembered. They would have recalled the ancient scriptures and they would have recognized their king. Once again, the king of Israel rides into his city sitting aboard a mule or a donkey, peacefully. And once again, the crowd declares their praise, not unlike the last time, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. But it is possible that some of the crowd went back even further than that. Maybe some of them recalled the words that were spoken by Jacob over his son Judah which are recorded all the way back in Genesis, nearly 2,000 years before Jesus arrived. Maybe some in the crowd were marveling at the sight of Jesus with these words rolling through their minds from Genesis 49, verses 10 and 11. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, until the coming of the one whom it, to whom it belongs the one whom all nations will honor. He ties his foal to a grapevine 
the colt of his donkey to a choice vine. From all the way back then, way back in Genesis 49, hearts had been growing expectant. Believers were awaiting the one, the one whom all nations would honour, and they would recognise the one by the sign of his association with the cult of a donkey. For nearly 2,000 years they had been looking out. They had been wondering when their true king would arrive. And from what is only hinted at here in Genesis 49, the crowds recognise this prophecy coming to fulfilment in Jesus' journey from the Mount of Olives through the Kidron Valley and up into the city of Jerusalem on the back of a donkey and her colt. The journey to the cross, even though we're starting here today, doesn't just begin in Matthew 21 with Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem. The journey to the cross begins way back, way, way back, all the way back when humanity first recognized their desperate need for a savior. And that was pretty early on in time. The journey to the cross is a long one, but it's a magnificent one. It's a journey that weaves its way throughout history. It follows the ups and downs of the nation of Israel and their many trials with different kings. And it time and time again sees God's people wander off, get themselves lost, only to be called back by their incredibly compassionate God. And the journey announces the birth of a baby, an infant king, upon whose shoulders the government would rest. And it follows that child's life and his ministry as a man. And then it culminates in this procession, Jesus' final journey towards his death and resurrection. Jesus' final journey towards his eternal enthronement. The coming of the king... This arrival in Jerusalem is but just a moment in the whole story. It's just one leg out of the entire journey that was taken. But the significance that's found in the way that Jesus came that day echoes throughout the whole thing. Jesus riding on a donkey and her colt was hinted at it was prophesied in Genesis 49. It was foreshadowed in 1 Kings 1. And it was prophesied again in Zechariah 9. And then in Matthew 21, we read, The king has come. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is still to come. In response to the arrival of their promised king, the Jews in the crowd that day declared Jesus the son of David. They recognized him. And they laid down their cloaks before him to form a carpet for his royal procession. And we too must respond to our king who has come, our king who is come, and our king who is still to come, and acknowledge his sovereignty we recognize Jesus' sovereignty by throwing down our lives before him, by laying down our wills and our desires in absolute surrender to the king, 
to the one who is and is to come. Jesus is the one who holds the promises of eternity. Jesus is the one who is the fulfillment of the promises of eternity. Jesus is the king who has come, the king who is come, and the king who is still to come. As we approach Easter, as we journey to the cross, may we acknowledge his eternal sovereignty, and may we lay ourselves down, making way for the coming of the king. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the one who was, who is, and is still to come. Help us, Holy Spirit, to prepare ourselves for the coming of the King. Help us to make preparations each and every day. Help us to lay ourselves down, to surrender our will, to surrender our desires to the one who is coming, to the one who has already come, Holy Spirit, would you stir us, lead us, inspire us to surrender, inspire us to allow Jesus to guide us, Jesus to lead us, Jesus to show us the way to true life. We thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. We thank you that you walked this journey to the cross. We thank you for your arrival as king. And Jesus, may we honor you as we lay ourselves down. In your name we pray. Amen. So I encourage you now to consider, just take some time to reflect, maybe chat about it with those that you're sitting with. How can you lay yourself down in preparation for the king? What might you need to surrender to lay in his path, to make way for him to come, for him to truly come into your life, to invade every aspect, even the ones that we keep hidden from him because we think he wouldn't want to see them? What do you need to lay down to make way for the coming of your king? If you would like to talk about it or pray about it, I'll be here at the front. Um, Brian Sunderland, he's here. He'll be available to pray with you as well as uh, the other elders, Julie, she's here. But take some time now just to maybe sit where you are and reflect. Andre will tinkle away on his guitar, fill the silence. Um, maybe talk to those around you if you'd like to. But what is it that you need to lay down to make way for the coming of your king.